Welcome, everyone. It's Ed Ismail with another episode of the Let's Do That podcast. Today, I'm chatting to Kate Austin. She is a very, very talented uh, action writer. Um, she's sort of come away from acting for a bit. We'll get to that when you hear it. <laughs> uh, the podcast starts with um, some spooky kind of uh, Halloween-esque themes. <laughs> With an exorcism, actually. Um, Kate also has one of the most horrific audition stories I think I've heard. Uh, and just in life, not to just doing this podcast. Um, it was quite something. And um, Kate's from Essex. So we talk about how being from Essex can sometimes be held against you. And uh, of course, there is a, a warning for you that this episode contains strong language. Hello. Hello. How are you? Can you hear me all right? I've got my microphone set up. Yeah, I can hear you wonderfully. That's great. <laughs> good to see you. Good to see you. How's things going? Yeah, good, thanks. Not, not too bad. Pretty busy. I was literally just doing promo for another episode. On the oh, sections. okay. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, all good. Thank you for giving up your time. Um, no, not at all. For this. And um, yeah, cool. Well, I'll get straight into it. You're, I think you said you're quite familiar with the podcast. Uh, do you know what? You were playing in my ears last night at um, at quarter past one in the morning when my son wouldn't go back to sleep. So I thought, do you know what? I'm going to put a bit of head on and uh, prepare myself. So yeah, I'm well versed. I'm well versed. Wow. I'm very flattered to be in your ears. Such a late time of night. Um Brilliant. So, um, great. Well, yeah, we're here to talk about um your creative journey, and uh, if you if you're ready, <laughs> yeah. You are listening to the Don't Think Act podcast with Ed Ismail. Well, thank you so much, Kate, for being on the Don't Think Act podcast. Thanks um, for having me. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this and, and learning more about you. Because um, everything I know about you so far is great. Um, so. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> likewise, likewise. So, um, I, as per usual, start at the beginning. So, where were you born? I was born in uh, Rochford Hospital in Essex, which no longer exists. Oh, no. Uh, not because of your birth, I hope. Yeah, I came into the world and they thought, <laughs> I just can't, we can't do any better than this. Let's just knock it down. Um, <laughs> I think I think it closed quite shortly after I was born. Definitely within five years, because I had a cousin that was born at South End Hospital, which is still there. 
Right. Um, but yeah, it's so it's southeast Essex I was born. Nice, nice. And where do you live now? And I now live in Chelmsford in Essex. Um, <laughs> I have I have lived in other places. It's just I think with a lot of people from Essex, we we are a bit like boomerang kids. We love to come back because it's just awesome. It's where the best people are. So <laughs> it's the only way. It's um, the only way. Yeah. Uh, so did you grow up in Watford or did you move? No, no. I grew up in a really, um, what I like to call drive-through town (laughs) in uh, in Essex called Hadley. It's one of the oldest um, towns, apparently. This is what my nan used to say. Um, There really isn't very much there, um, but I lived there until I was 12, and then I moved to Leoncee, just down the road. Mm -hmm. And then um, I lived there all the way up until I moved into London when I was an adult, really. And what, what was it like growing up there? Um, really interesting. So I had a, quite a strange setup. So my dad, um, my dad runs his own business. He he's a designer and he has a shop, and that shop has been there for forty years. And um, we live attached to the shop um, on the A13. So it was a really strange upbringing. Our house was incredibly old. It was like over 300 years old wow. and um, really spooky and opposite a cemetery. <laughs> and, yeah, it, it was – I think we were really fortunate to be part of that – the generation that doesn't seem to exist anymore where you had so much freedom, you know, where your parents were like, all right, see you for tea, and then you just came back for tea, you mm. know, and they'd be out, and they had no idea where you were. Um, and you're up to all sorts of mischief but I yeah I really I really liked growing up there um I think I think there's a lot a lot of lot that comes out of really small unheard of communities of people and it's fueled a lot of what I've done going forward actually a lot of characters that I pull out from that time um so yeah it was good that was awesome. So was it? Was it quite? You said you lived opposite a cemetery. Did that freak yes. out at all as a kid, or did? Or were you quite curious about it? Well, I was christened in the church. I'm not actually religious, but my mum said she did that thing that all children of the '80s do and and just christen their kids because it was the fashion. Um, so it was a it's a really old church, but I don't remember being scared of the church and the graveyard. I was very scared of my house. Um, it was really creepy and there were lots of strange goings on there and when we moved out when I was 12 my dad converted the bottom of our house into the rest of his shop and then that just left the top part as like a flat and um, the people that moved into the flat um, he had I think he had three different tenants and they all separately had the flat exercised by the Mm. by the (laughs) really yeah because of really spooky goings on there so it what it was um it was a really creepy place to grow up um yeah I used to (laughs) I remember having a double bed quite young um because like with a lot of really old houses their rooms are quite big and and with tall ceilings so I had this double bed and I used to um have all of my stuff stuff toys lined up to my face so that if anybody I thought would come into my room, they'd just think I was a stuffed toy and leave me there. <laughs> so, yeah, it was creepy. But, um, 
yeah, I don't think it was. I think also because all of my mates grew up on the council estate, which was opposite my house. And that used to be an orphanage um, way back when. And again, that was really creepy as well. So we kind of all bonded about being from this creepy little town, really. <laughs> and, and so how do you feel about the whole exorcism, exorcism stuff? Do you, is that something you kind of believe? Did you experience anything? or I, I, I experienced really tame things uh, my sister experienced something which she still has never explained to me she told my nan about it um but when I, my experiences were things like I distinctly remember coming home from school and folding my school uniform on top of a chest of drawers going downstairs coming back sometime later and it was all over the floor mm. and I was like I I definitely put the stuff back like neatly yeah and I had a I had a thing where I, I had washed out some, do you know, like when you get milk delivered by the milkman and you get proper old fashioned milk bottles, I'd washed out all of the milk bottles for them to go back and I lined them all up on the counter. And as I turned around to the fridge, somebody blew in all the bottles. So, you know, it's like whoo, 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 all different noises. And I was like, no way. Nobody there. And then I remember distinctly having a chat to my dad about the fact that these people have, have had to exercise. And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, it doesn't bother me, though, working here. He said, the cupboards just open on their own all the time. I just don't think about it anymore. And I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but nothing. we didn't have anything horrible yeah. happen. It was just like when I, I used to speak to my nan, because my nan was really spiritual, and she said, um, she said, oh, it will be it will be a kid from like the orphanage or something because that was what was there across the road, and it's like a play. It will be a playful. It's a playful ghost doing playful things. And I was like, oh, okay. And as I was a kid, I didn't worry too much. I don't think. Mm. But yeah, yeah, very weird. What a spooky start to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Just in <laughs> time for Halloween. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, perfect timing. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Um. So how did um, acting or performing or creativity first come to you? Um, so from, like, I don't remember. I'm not one of these people that has really, like, early, early childhood memories. But my mum always said that I was always sort of performing. So they bought us, like, a, a little puppet um, stand thing. And apparently I used to do puppet shows. Don't remember that. Um and actually, I was quite I was quite shy when I was like at school, and I remember a friend of mine saying that she was going to start this local drama club, and my mum was like, "Oh, I think it would be good for you to go together." And that was when I was about eight or nine, I think. So I started that, and I just fell in love. And my friend left after like two weeks, and I was like, "Oh, I love I love this," and I honestly I just didn't look back from there. Really, that's where I found my confidence. I think. Um. So, yeah, from about nine, I used to go to this um, club on the weekends and after schools, you know, and then I carried it on through school. I didn't do Lambda exams, but that was like on offer. Um, but I did those kind of classes that you would do after school and then did it at GCSE and then beyond, really. So from from that invitation, I didn't stop being creative. So I have a lot to thank to... Lucy Meacham, if you ever listen to this, because you're the person that got me into drama when I was nine. And um, did, did you know where, it, did you have an end point in sight at that, at that point? You knew you wanted 
is it acting and was it on stage or yeah I think I think I always wanted to be on stage because um I kind of got the bug with our fir the first play I ever did was so bad it was called <laughs> it was called the hat and it was a mime and it's as bad as it sounds it was really awful but from that I was like I got the bug of being on stage and having that sort of adrenaline and that sort of cathartic experience and and pleasing an audience, you know. Um, and then we sort of did like Alice in Wonderland and I played the Queen of Hearts and and I I actually wanted to be a journalist. That's what I wanted to do when I was young. Um, because I was just really, I just loved reading. I'd always read, I would consume books. Um, so I thought, oh, that's, a, that's something I can do. I can be a journalist. But then when I started the sort of drama thing, I thought, no, this, yeah, this is what I want to do. Um, yeah, so I think it slowly started to feed into wanting to become something I did all the time. Um, and that's when I was yeah, fortunate enough. Actually, when I was at school, ours was like a trial year for the first year to do GCSE dance. So I managed to do GCSE dance and drama as my options, which then took me into college. So, yeah, I guess once I started, I just didn't want to stop. And what did you do at college? I did a BTEC National Diploma in Performing Arts, yeah. as I think you did. Yes. Did, yeah. yeah, it was great. I absolutely loved it. I really did. Um, I did that at South End College, which is is still there, but it's no longer in the building. that I've got a theme with buildings closing, haven't I? <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> the original building that I was in uh, got turned into flats, I think. But... Um, I loved it and I, I did that for two years and then again they did a trial with that where they did an, an additional year. I can't remember like what the outcome was in terms of like grading or whatever but what it was was like basically an, an additional year to stay and and do sort of more intensive work. So I did that. I got a job and I did that at the, at the same time. Um, so I stayed on for an extra year to do that. Um, and then the plan was to try and get into drama school, really. Um, but yeah, I think I think, I think think BTECs are brilliant, especially if, like me, you're not particularly academic. Like, yeah. you know, you get all of your work is, you know, your sort of coursework and it's fun and it's sort of more manageable. And um, yes, yeah, so I'm a big advocate for that. Yeah, there's a lot more practical stuff to be getting on with and then a BTEC there was certainly was for me and yeah. I, I remember um because when I finished my GCSEs my drama teacher said to me oh you should really go and do theatre studies and I was like oh no that, just the idea of that sounds horrible it's just yeah studies I was it's like, got I'm studies just, in the I've title school yeah um, and um yeah I, I found out about the BTEC and uh I went to a few different places um on sort of like open days and interviews and whatnot and um yeah settled on Epping Forest College which as I said before in my previous episode we were so lucky we had so many facilities and and, and it sounds awesome and what was interesting was the people who were there doing theatre studies 
like there was always like a bit of a them and us and then um i think we were like the first year to sort of break that up and get to know them and, and you know we didn't have to be rivals but they were like oh god it's so boring and a lot of them tried to transfer to the course because they just spent time a lot of time not doing much acting yeah. and um i think yeah I, I don't know what it would be like today i mean i'm going back so many years ago now um because I did that between 97, 97 to 99. Um, but yeah, they were hardly doing any acting and they were also frustrated. So I just think, yeah, yeah if you want to, if you want to do acting, you need to find a course that's practical. Um, Absolutely. And, and just to learn from other people. It's just uh, yeah. so important. But yeah, yeah, I was the same. I wasn't particularly academic. Um, so did you, did you, did you say you went? Did you try for some drama schools, or did you get any formal I did, training? Or yeah, what was the next, I did. Next so I I took a year out actually. So I didn't I didn't audition for drama school straight away. So I did I did college for two years. Then I did this extension year, and then I wanted to do something different. So I went and worked for a film company. Wow. in Essex um yeah not not as glamorous as it sounds because I was actually basically in sales <laughs> trying to get people to like uh invest in films um so I did that uh for a year and I did that because I wanted to fund going to New York to study at the New York Film Academy wow so I did that so I worked for a year and then I think it was, yeah, I went in the June and I went over to New York. Uh, this was when I was 20 and I studied there for a summer. Um, and that was amazing. It was a real, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, yeah, like, you know, when you have like a sort of awakening moment, <laughs> You know, people, people when they say they go traveling, like I'm, I'm not, I'm not someone that's ever wanted to go traveling, but they come back and they're changed. Yeah, you know, that yeah. it really was a, a a huge steep learning curve for me, just getting on to, and going to this massive city that I've never been in, so far away from home, in a different time zone. Um, but it was incredible. And while I was there, oh yeah, no, before I went, I had been auditioning for drama school. So while I've been working at the film company, I was auditioning for drama school knowing that I was going to go to New York anyway. And I auditioned at, um, I auditioned, I think I auditioned at Alra, at mm -hmm. Arts Ed, um, one of the other big ones, and East 15. I always wanted to go to East 15 because I like um, the sort of method version of training. Um and I had such a mixed experience. I don't know about you, if you've if you've ever done it, but going from for me, and I've always taken this into like every aspect of my life, whether I'm auditioning for a role or if I'm interviewing for for a job, it's like you've got to like it as much as they've got to like you, you know. Yeah. And I walked into certain drama schools and just went, "Oh my god, I'm not going to fit in here." <laughs> I distinctly remember going to Arts Ed and there was like a whole group of people tap dancing down the stairs and I thought fuck no I've got to get out of here like this isn't I'm not going to get on at all with these people um although they were lovely um yeah so I auditioned for E15 and 
really didn't think I had got in. I was auditioning for the the, the straight BA three year course. Um, because you had to do a you had to do a classical monologue, a contemporary monologue, and then you had to have a song. And I hate singing in public; it makes me want to vomit in my mouth. Um, and then there was like you know some devising stuff. Anyway, I did the Shakespeare and I did the contemporary and they put you all into um, the Corbett Theatre and then said whether you'd been recalled. And if you got recalled, you had to do your song. And they didn't recall me. So I was like, oh, well, at least I have to sing. Went home and then found out I got in anyway. So I really lucked out on that. Wow. Um, So, yeah. I was really pleased I didn't have sin. <laughs> I think I think the reason I got in was David, one of the lovely um lecturers there, who's unfortunately lo- no longer with us, he really liked that I'd picked a play that had really recently come out that he that he loved. Um and I was able to have like a full conversation with him about it. So I think basically that's the only reason why I was shortlisted and got in without having to sing, because we connected. Um but yeah, I did that for for three years. So I flew back from New York, and then I started a month later or two months later at E15 for three years. Wow! So can you tell me a little bit about New York and what that experience was like? Yeah. So, um, so it was just purely acting for film, which I had no experience in really. I'd done a couple of like really really base level adverts as a teenager. Um. And so I thought, right, you know, I should go and just get some skills. So you sort of, you sort of went over and basically like all of the sort of summer cohorts go into this enormous hall in the middle of New York. And then you're sort of split into what you're there to study. So directing or producing, acting, all of those sorts of things. Um, and luckily for me, there was a, a woman in my class who was from Hertfordshire. She was the only other English person there. And I was just like, oh, my God, Like, <laughs> please see my friend. Basically, like, hung onto her leg on the way out. Um, and, yeah, we just stuck up a friendship, me, her, and then a girl from from L.A. And um, it was nice because we had this little trio for for the whole summer. And because I'd worked my arse off, I had quite a lot of spending money because I'd worked for a year. So I felt like I had this, I had this image in my head. And one day I went down Fifth Avenue to get some like presents for family. And I came up with all these bags and I was like, hold up, I'm having a pretty woman moment here. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, wow, really dear. I was loving that. Um but yeah, the the experience was great. We we had all different kinds of classes about film, but we also did some Shakespeare. I, I'm sorry, but it really, it really was bad. <laughs> the Shakespeare lessons were awful, right. and I remember being like, um, "Okay," and I think that maybe that's because we're from. I'm from the UK, and so I was like, "This isn't how it's done." Um, but the film things were great, and what was really brilliant about it was by the end of the course you were able to have some of your tapes that you'd shot there shown to the directors and the producers and then um, they could basically ask you to be in their film for the end of their projects. So from that, I got cast in like three films, I think. 
Um, and that was brilliant because then you were just out on location doing these films and obviously it was great. They had a huge budget. So they had people doing all of the stuff that they should be doing, you know, the boom mics and all of the jazz. It was all set up. We were uh, filming in Central Park. We were filming in like apartments and um yeah, it was really, really fun. It was really intense, um, but really fun. And I did a lot of partying because <laughs> I was really young. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, it was a fantastic experience. I would always recommend that if you can do anything like that um, abroad, out of your comfort zone, mm-hmm. then you should. Yeah. Oh, 100%. So do you um, have a preference that you did some screen stuff? Do you have a preference between stage and screen? Oh, 100% stage, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm not really made for screen. I've done some screen stuff and... A, I don't actually think I'm very good at it. <laughs> it's not my forte. And B, I get incredibly bored on set waiting for stuff to happen. Mm-hmm. It's like, and I don't, I like to have the feedback from an audience, you know, and there, there's none of that. And the shooting out of sequence really does my brain in. Um, <laughs> it's like, you know, oh, you've just met your love and now he's just died. I'm like, but I've just, I've ju- I can't, my brain, how do I, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. I really, I really admire people that are good with film because it's just not how my brain works, I don't think. No, that's so fair it's, enough. But it's, a diff- it's a different challenge, definitely. Yeah. And, and I think you've put that across very eloquently. The fact that it's out of sequence. I mean, yeah, it's, it's mad, absolutely mad. Yeah. So yeah, at the stage all the way for me, all the way. Hey, do you remember what it was like to get headshots for the first time? <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, we had a photographer come to East Fifteen to have them taken for us, um, because you had to have them displayed at like the showcase and stuff. Mm-hmm. And they were so bad, Ed. That I wanted to cry. Well, the I think I did were, cry. The, the pictures were bad. The pictures were so bad of me. So I, I have like a bit of an eye situation where <laughs> one of my eyes is like ever so slightly closed more than the other. Oh, I and, that. yeah. Yeah. And it's so noticeable in some photos that it mm. basically looked like I was blind in one eye. <laughs> I was like, that doesn't look like me at all. So luckily for me, my um, one of my friends on my course, her dad was a professional photographer, and he said, I will do some of your friends' headshots again who are unhappy with their headshots. So I drove up to Lincoln to her mum and dad's house and had them redone, and they were thankfully much better. Um, <laughs> I've never liked the experience, though. Have you? No, something I still haven't got used to, I guess. Um like I don't, yeah, I don't. I, I've been alright the last few times I've had headshots done. Actually, like I've been, I've enjoyed the experience. I've never not enjoyed it, but I don't. I'm not a. I imagine photographers get people that turn up and can be like, I'm doing this pose, I'm doing this pose, and yeah. putting this outfit on and being like this. I'm just so not that person. And, and a photographer once said to me, um, "I think I can tell what kind of actor you are by the way you have your headshots taken." It's because you're very much like you're quite cerebral. You're in your, you're in your head a lot. You're thinking a lot of things. Interesting. And I took that as a really big compliment. <laughs> yeah. I hope I hope that was how it went. Um, 
because I'm not, I, I'm not, yeah, I don't turn up and, and I'm not like, oh, I'm this character. But I'm, I do a little bit of it now. Like in my head, I sort of figure, I figured some things out. The last time I had headshots, no, not last time, time before, I got together with a friend first who's into photography. Actually, she's a guest on the show, Rebecca Winter. Um, uh, she takes pictures and uh, we sort of, she was just getting into photography then and we were messing around a bit and we were like coming up with a character. And that actually kind of helped me because when I went in, I was like, what could I be put up for? What is my casting sort of bracket? And not sort of, not just age, what's my casting type? What kind of characters do I look like? Yeah. Um, so Dodgy Cop was one of them, like a corrupt cop. Um, it's so interesting how you get labelled as these things, though, isn't it? Like, yeah. And it definitely happened at drama school. I was always the prostitute. <laughs> oh, God. Always. I, and that, I'm not that even going to ask why. <laughs> oh, you no, yeah, I don't know. I'm obviously giving off a vibe. That's um, awful. <laughs> yeah, that was the roles I always played was um, drug dealers, prostitutes, that kind of thing. Yeah. Do you, do you think it was because of having an Essex accent? I think partly, yeah. Um, yeah, partly that for sure. And the fact that, I don't know. Yeah, I think it. I think it must be. Yeah. What else is it going to be? I guess it is, isn't it? It is, and that is something that you have to fight against all the time. Is having having an Essex accent, but um, mm. it's fine. I'm Essex and proud. Was it recently voted the sexiest accent? No, was it? I think last year. Oh come on! I think so. I love that. <laughs> well, why not? <laughs> I mean, I find it sexy because. Um, you know, I think it's, I think it's, um, well, I guess it's quite hard to be subjective about your own accent, isn't it? But mm. I think it's quite warm and inviting as an accent, but then maybe others think yeah. it's harsh. I don't know. Yeah. But it's interesting, the sort of the prejudice that comes with it, isn't it? Um, yeah. Oh, massively. And I think this happens a lot for some other people in other parts of the country, people from Birmingham, people from up north, some northern accents as well as determined sort of like people hear it and then I don't know judgments appear yeah. quite quickly yeah. um, do, 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 do you feel like um, other than being labelled a sex worker as a casting <laughs> um, do, you, do you think that in the past that's sort of been held against you in any way being from Essex um, as a performer Mm. Or as a person? <laughs> well, we'll start with the performer. It just depends how deep you want to go. Um, yes. Yes, I do, yeah. I do, I definitely do. Um, I'm trying to think of instances where I can give you an example. I, well, even when I did my showcase at drama school, I think at the time I thought it was good, but when I actually look back on it, I don't. I think it was quite negative. <laughs> And I had a character written for me that um, was 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 your like archetypal stereotypical Essex woman, you know. Oh right, oh lovely, and that's great, you know. And that, there's nothing between me ears, really, that kind of thing. And you think, obviously, I played up on it because that's what they gave me to do. But mm. looking back, I think that's not good. <laughs> it's really not good. Um, and I think I think in 
I think I've hidden my accent quite a lot. I remember going to Edinburgh Fringe in 2017 and, and bumping into a now very good friend of mine who's um, Liverpudlian. And I think as I'd met him, I'd been speaking quite well, shall we say? So I met him in the like um, in the Meet the Press queue at Edinburgh, and we just got chatting. And I think I think I must have been, yeah, just minding my p's and q's and things. Anyway, we got on really well, and then we ended up going for a few nights out while we were at the fringe. And then obviously I'm just being myself, and he was like, um. What what is your accent? Because when I met you the other day, you were speaking really well, and now you're speaking like you're actually from Essex. And I was like, well, yeah, I think that kind of gives you a bit of an example of mm. sometimes you have to put a bit of a front on um, yeah. to sort of get ahead, which is a shame. I think that's changing now. Um, I do, um, but it definitely has been a thing for sure. Yeah, yeah, gosh. It's sad, isn't it? I mean, you kind of, you kind of, you can laugh about it, but at the same time, it's like it's really, um, it's certainly starting out. I think, yeah, you're right. It is getting easier now, but certainly starting out, there are there seem to be so many barriers in the way. It seems to be, um, and and that lots of um, ideas are put into one's head that you are supposed to be a certain way if you're yeah. going to be an actor. You have to sound a certain way. You have to walk a certain way. You have to, yeah. Um, and it kind of goes back to sort of, it reminds me of like whenever I see uh, older stuff on American TV, because I feel like uh, uh, America have only really embraced other parts of the UK uh, in terms of having people with their accents more recently. Whereas in the past, it's been like you're either posh or you're Cockney. Yeah. Um, and this seems to be like all the Americans knew about us. Um, I think apart from Frasier, where they had someone from Manchester in it. Um, Even though she's really not from Manchester, <laughs> is she not? No, no, she's American. No, yeah. she's British. Sure. Me? No, she's American. Go... She's American. Yeah, hold up, Daphne Moon. That's her name, isn't it? I'm sure she's from Manchester. <laughs> we'll this pause this podcast a... to have a quick IMDb. Born September. No, 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 no. English immigrant from... Oh, no, my God, I'm so sorry, you're right. I think she is from Manchester. Wow, that accent was bad then. Because <laughs> to me, she sounds like an American attempting to do a Mancunian accent. I mean, it, it might have been that she'd spent a lot of time there and that's what happens. Yeah. It becomes slightly transatlantic. Yeah. Um, what was her name? Daffy Moon. Yeah. Crikey. Um... <laughs> <laughs> well, finally, we fact check something on this podcast because you said that to her. Uh, <laughs> you heard it here first. Yeah, find it out <laughs> afterwards. Um, so, did you have any acting inspirations growing up or, or when you were getting into acting? Not really. Is that bad? No. No, there's no reason no, why you would necessarily. Just I don't think curious. so. Um, not off the top of my head that I can think of. No, just kind of did my own thing. I liked to go. I, I saw loads of theatre, and you know, obviously loved loads of different performances. But I didn't have like a sort of acting hero as such. Yeah, like some and people do. Was it? Was there any piece of theatre or, or any acting on, on stage or screen that you 
that are stuck with you that like really blew you away and you thought, oh, yeah that's something to yeah, aspire loads. to absolutely loads um i saw i saw something which um i always use as like a reference point um for how things make me feel i saw a piece of theater um by a company called quote unquote collective they're um a duo from canada two women from canada and they created a piece of theater called um mouthpiece and it was on at the at summer hall um as part of like you know when they do like the sort of canadian takeover or new zealand takeover or whatever so it was like a canadian takeover of summer hall that year and i watched it and it was so unbelievably powerful it was about the sort of female experience if you like really broadly speaking and they used so many different um tools to get their message across and everything they did was so powerful um they used like um they had beautiful voices and they were just be sort of chanting and then um then they'd go into this like really it's like change sort of genre constantly it would then go into like um like a reporter talking about something and then they would talk about being in magazines and there was this whole section where the only thing on stage was a bath and two microphones so like a roll top bath and at the at, at the beginning i mean there was a thread to the play the thread is that um this woman who they both represent has recently lost her mother and they have to write a eulogy about her, but they can't possibly write a eulogy about her when they knew nothing about her because she hid herself from society because she was a woman effectively. So she dulled herself right down. So who was she really? Cause she never showed it to anybody. Um, and there was this point where, um, they ask somebody on stage. So they, they they were sort of saying, oh, excuse me, sir, is there anybody in the audience that can help these two ladies um, lift this bathtub? And this big guy got up from the audience and uh, went to went to help them. So they're all moving the bathtub, all three of them. And then when he goes back to his seat, the two women alone lift the bathtub right above their heads and just drop it to the floor. It was like, you know, we can do this shit. But it was it was so powerful that at the end I couldn't get up, hmm. and I and half of the audience just couldn't get up, and it was like I don't know what I actually don't know what to do with myself now, and I love theatre like that where you yeah. come away and you think I I don't know if I'm angry or if I'm if I'm sad or if I'm ecstatic for seeing an incredible piece of theatre, but I was so moved that. Yeah, I, it, it has stayed with me for a really long time. And I felt like that also about a play that I saw um, for very different reasons, actually. Um, it's by Luke Barnes called All I Ever Wanted Was Everything, um, which was done with Wild Card Theatre. And that was at the Fringe. Um, and it was a piece of gig theatre, basically, about this, um, what's it called? meteorite thing that's going to be coming crashing towards the earth and ending the earth and it's like what have you done with your life is the is the sort of question um and it had all of these original songs in it it was just incredible and at the end like he basically gives this rousing speech about like 
go out and live your life. I fucking dare you, is what he mm. says at the end. And I just bawled my eyes out. Mm. And I'm just like literally sobbing it on the seat. And as I came out, Luke Barnes happened to be watching and I was that really, really embarrassing woman who went up to him, having not composed myself at all, and was like, I just really <laughs> found that so moving. Thank you so much. And I was like, what a dick. But, you know, he looked... You've got to do it. You've got to do it. I mean, yeah. He looked like I was going to kill him in his sleep. But, yeah, those two pieces of theatre stand out for me because I, I didn't know what to do with myself afterwards. I had so much adrenaline. Um. And that's what I, you know, obviously we all want to strive to create, isn't it? That feeling. 100%. I think it's really important to go and tell people they've done good work. Like, I think it's so... I don't know, I always feel so grateful when I've sat through something that's really moving. Um, I had a similar experience at, um, at Edinburgh Fringe years ago. Um, and uh, again, it was a, a female duo doing something and it was it was very, like, a really fascinating feminist piece. And um, I'd say whatever, I, I'm easily hookable if someone uses a piece of music, which I really love. And they used, um, they used a Radiohead song, which I love from their Kid oh. A album and um, she, uh, you know this, this lady was sat there and she was she was putting on makeup and she was talking about well she was questioning why do women put on makeup as she was doing it and it was just very powerful and it was looking at like you know who is this for and um, how they how women are represented in society it was just so moving and so yeah. I can't remember I wish I could remember their names I've, I've still got their leaflet somewhere in an old fold <laughs> around um, and uh, I just fell in love with this woman. And, and I, I always say that about acting. I, I really, really enjoy. I get moved by it. But what I mean is, like, it's not a romantic thing, but I'm just like, I'm just like, my God, like, cannot take my eyes off and, and my ears away from what's happening. I'm so invested in this performance. Yeah. Um, so then I just have to go and tell them how wonderful they were and how, because um, I think, otherwise, what's the point? Like, it's yeah, not, so it's, true. It's not, and, and what I mean is, it's not why we do it. We don't do it so that someone can tell us how great we are, but to know that whatever message we're trying to spread with our stories, that we're moving in the right direction, right? Because if you don't, if you don't hear it, then you don't know. Yeah, people clap, but do you know what? I've seen people clap. I've <laughs> I've been at press nights during shows, sat next to someone who, for the entire press night, was just oh. oh. Puffing, puffing all the way through, just tutting, and then when the show ended, got up and applauded like he standing ovation, the best thing he'd seen. Oh and no, you didn't enjoy it. Why? You know, I'm not saying you have to boo or anything, but just you <laughs> suck. <laughs> it was just, it was just it was like oh, so you know, applause really. Yeah, no, you know what? I've, you're, I've you're seen right. that side of it. <laughs> No, you're right. I, the thing is, it's difficult, isn't it? This is a difficult argument because I I recently went to see something that I didn't enjoy and I find it so hard. I don't know about you, but obviously you know what it's like 
when you're either in something that you don't think is very good or um, you've written something and it's not quite ready and you're like, oh, God. But people have still worked really hard on it, you know. And so although I didn't enjoy what I'd seen, I was like, I've got to, I'm clapping the commitment to the work rather than the work. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah, I find it quite hard to be, to give constructive criticism now because I know how shit it feels to receive it, but how necessary it is to receive it, you know? Yeah. I mean, I don't, uh, I don't often enjoy theatre too much. It has to be really, really something quite special to, to get me. I've got quite high, not high expectations. I just, I, I struggle. A, I've got a, an attention span, which isn't particularly great um, yeah. for theatre. And because I'm always aware people are acting. Um, so, I don't know, it's a style, but I'm just like, yeah, but there, it's kind of a, I don't know, there's something about it, which isn't, it's a bit old timely with mm. some of the acting, with a lot of the acting that I see on stage. Um, and so yeah unless i'm sort of transported somewhere else um i find it very hard to to to, to enjoy it and same with some film i've got a very high expectation when it comes to film but like no one sets out to make anything that's not good like that's never the no. intention absolutely um, not and it all just comes to how people collaborate i think yeah um, agreed and um but yeah i never like i try never to sort of like talk about stuff I don't like because it's, hey, it's a waste of energy um, I'm only yeah. interested in talking about things I enjoy uh, and I think it's it's hard if I go to see something I just was like oh well that was very good but you know that's people putting months and months of work into that yeah. um, you know hopefully there's a learning experience there for, for everybody um, mm. and as actors you know you don't get to pick and choose all this <laughs> No, absolutely not. There's things I definitely wish I hadn't done over my time, but it's a rite of passage, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and it's how you learn. It's how you learn about the craft and how you learn about working working with other people. Yeah. Um, How did the COVID pandemic affect you creatively? It massively changed the trajectory of my career. So pre-COVID... I had a show on at the vaults, um, which I had devised and written with a friend of mine. And we were so lucky because the the day that our show was on and we finished, the theatres went dark. So we just managed to get it on, which was great. And I had this really weird experience where my whole life, all I'd ever wanted to do was be an actor. And I've been developing this show for a really long time, for years, really. And as I was waiting in in sort of the wings, if you like, to go on, I thought, I don't want to do this. And it was, it's the first time in my life I've ever had that experience. I just wished I'd given the role to somebody else so that I could watch it and Mm. listen to the words rather than, it felt like a really confusing process. It was really odd. And so after going through that, I had a rethink I was really really fortunate to be furloughed from a job that I was doing so I had the time to think about what I want to do and I did some short writing courses because I'd really enjoyed the devising experience and creating something out of that um 
and then I got on to the John Burgess playwriting group. Um, it takes like eight to 12 people a year and you do nine months um, working on different types of plays. So you write a radio play, you write a mosaic play, um, and then the the goal at the end is to write your first full length and, and then go off into the world, you know. Um, so I did that and I it really spoke to me. I loved everything about it. I loved immersing myself in in reading so many plays I mean I've always been an avid reader of plays but you had to read and dissect at least two plays every week as part of the course and then be able to talk about what they were what you liked what you didn't like what you spotted in rhythms and all of that sort of stuff and I just learned so much about plays that I hadn't thought about from an actor's perspective before Hmm. um so I did that course and, and during that course I I moved house I fell pregnant with my son um, and then had a baby in the pandemic. And then I was still doing my course. So I would strap him to my chest and do my course. Um, so, so much, it, it was kind of like a re a rebirth for me because everything changed. Um, and then I haven't, I haven't acted or been on stage since. And that's not to say that I don't ever want to do it again. It's just now I feel really focused on being a writer. Like, but you know, now that I have a family, it's, it's I don't really want to go on tour and, and all that sort of stuff, um, which I was able to do before. And I like being able to sit at home and immerse myself into a different world that I am creating and play God and, and move these characters in this world that I love and, um so yeah so I've it completely changed the whole trajectory of my life wow and yeah so did this this thought of not wanting to perform what that happened to you during in the wings was that had that been on your mind at all or did it did it literally just pop in there as before you were going to go on stage or I had been feeling um I don't think I admit it to myself, but I have been feeling like I wasn't kind of in the process, like during rehearsals for that piece, not prior to that at all. But I was watching my friend who I had written it with, who was also in it and thinking, yeah, she's nailing this. Why am I not, why am I not enjoying it as much as she's enjoying it? Um, But there was no sort of conscious decision to stop. And I don't think there has been either. It was more like this just isn't for me right now and I need to just not keep doing it. (laughs) You know, it's just when you're an actor, like you just give and give and give, don't you? Mm. And it's so exhausting. I think I just kind of burnt myself out of it. Um, Yeah, and... It was also a particularly cathartic play that I had written about personal experiences as well. So doing that was also, yeah, difficult and like closing a door on it a bit, you know. Um, but yeah, there, as I say, there's nothing to stop me doing it again. I, I I think I'll always love it. But right now I have no urge to get up on stage or go to an audition and put myself through all that again. <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough. And um, I mean, I've, I've I've seen you perform before, so I, I would I would I would like to see it again. But I completely understand. Oh, Ed! If 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 
that doesn't happen. And I think, you know, everything sort of is happens for reasons and at the at the right time when you discover these things. And it's very important to know what you want and just as important to know what you don't want anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the difficult about writing now is that like because of the pandemic, um, whether you're writing for social screen, a lot of people are like or producers or companies, they're just they don't want anything that's real or doom and gloom. They don't want a lot of comedy. Everyone wants yeah. a lot of like that's been the hard thing. Yeah, I think you're right there. Um, and I get, I get it. I totally yeah. get it because you know nobody wants to sort of relive it, and nobody wants to. I don't know. Being you know, it was a dark time for most people for 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 two years plus, and so I think it's um it's hard when you're trying to create something that isn't like yeah, it doesn't make you laugh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I hear you. I do hear you. But, you know, there's always trends, isn't there? Mm. It'll come back around. Yeah, I think so. We can put all of our depressing shit out there again. <laughs> I think we're getting there. I think from next year. Okay. Yeah. The unofficial yeah. rule. Yeah. You mentioned about um, writing from personal, about a personal experience. And I just wanted to ask if it's okay. Uh, not what it was about, but um, how do you, because I'm also writing about something that's very personal to me, how do you, if you did, uh, guard yourself in a way? How do you take care of your mental health when you're writing about something so personal? So I wrote, I didn't know I was writing a play at the time. Basically, when I was going through this difficult period, it was sort of 2016, early 2017, and what I did was I um, <laughs> I sent my mate, who I wrote the play with, a really long voice note from the bath. So <laughs> I was in the bath. I just was basically ranting. And I think it went on for 30 minutes. I basically just did a podcast. Poor cow. Um, and she listened to it all, give her a due. And she went, oh, my God, that is so interesting. You should listen to that back. like." I can hear the bath dripping and everything you're saying I'm relating to. And I, I get the feeling and I, there's something in there. And I was not thinking that at all at the time, but then it became um, a challenge that we set ourselves for a year where anything that we were interested in, angry about whatever, we would just send each other voice notes and they all got stored. And then it evolved out of that. So it did actually change quite a bit, but it's the, the the sort of the painful situation was like the nucleus, you know. Um and the 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 reason I, I felt detached from it enough to perform and finish was the character that I was playing was nothing like me and her circumstances were entirely different. Mm. And um and so I was able to remove the, the situation away from myself but I think also I was kind of fortunate because that's how I, I learned that was my acting style as well you know because going to East 15 it was always about draw on something you know you mm. know not that's fresh but something that you've experienced that you can channel in to find that same emotional outcome but that comes from a different place you know and so I, I feel like I was able to do that in the writing of it so that I didn't end up getting bogged down in, in what actually happened. 
Yeah, that's fascinating. I'm going to flip flop a little bit there. Yeah. Because you mentioned about drawing from a personal experience when acting. What do you think? How do you feel about that method now? Because now I first came across that when I was very young. We were uh, teens in a, in a local theatre group. And <laughs> looking back, like, I actually think there's something quite dangerous about encouraging <laughs> that kind of method um, to draw on something to, to, uh, to obtain an emotional outcome on stage or in an improvisation or whatever it is, whatever the emotional thing you're trying to achieve. I think it can be, I think for when you don't have emotional maturity yet. <laughs> yeah. It can be quite dangerous looking back. Um, and um, yeah, I just wondered what you think, what you think about that method or whether it's useful. Or not. Yeah. Um, I think as long as the, period of time that you're drawing from you've you've resolved like there's no there's no trauma there there's no mm. like if I think about a situation that happened to me 10 years ago and I don't sit here and burst into tears you know I'm fine but I remember how that felt and I can channel that mm. then that's good but you're right I do feel like you have to be really careful because you know of emotional maturity or you might draw on something too soon or something might catch you out and you're not able to control the emotion mm. um i had some interesting experiences at drama school um and i imagine it's changed a lot since me being there because i graduated oh god like 13 years ago or something um i distinctly remember playing uh, a character in a scene where she has to open a door which would essentially take you off of, off stage but what she was seeing off stage was um her niece committing suicide essentially so and you had very limited time of exiting and then re-entering so she goes in sees that she's shut herself comes back on distraught as you would be and i was so young um Unfortunately, you know, hadn't had any pre-lived experience of, of that, nor that I think you should ever draw on, on that if that was the case. But I remember going really late into an evening with the director and her saying, you haven't got it yet. And I was like, I, I know, I'll get it. She's like, no, I need you to, I need to see that you're going to get it. And to give her a due, I, I completely understand where she was coming from because it's very important to portray something correctly, especially in that light. But, you know, let's be honest, we were at drama school, so <laughs> we're very young people attempting yeah. to, to do this. But I sat with her and, uh, and another actor who was in the scene with me, and <clears throat> she said to me, I want you to cry. And I was like, sorry? <laughs> she was like, I want you to cry now. She's like, I want you to think about something. And I want you to cry, really cry. And we won't leave here until you do. Right. And I was like, oh, shit, right, I've got to cry then. So I sat there and I thought about something. And, um, yeah, really started to cry. And she said, right, that's it. Now let's do the scene. And she was like, that's how it should look every time. So I was like, okay. And I don't think that was helpful. Hmm in terms of like a hand-holding, nurturing experience. But it did give me a lesson now on ensuring that you portray an emotion correctly to an audience because 
I've gone and seen things and gone, fucking hell, you haven't done that right. And that's really bad. That's seriously offensive to some people. Do you know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, I had experiences like that. And I and I feel icky about it, looking back a little bit. Um, but that that is that drama school. It's method. That's how they work. And yeah. and to be honest, I, I, I can't work, even as a writer, I can't work in any other way because that's how I've been taught. And that's how I think I probably would channel it anyway. Um, like if I'm writing something, I immerse myself entirely into the world as much as physically possible mm. so that I can, I feel like I'm doing it as much justice as I can, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? I've, I've seen... Um... I've seen shows in London, and <laughs> it's it's always felt like, oh, this is this is the sad bit, guys. This is the bit where you're all gonna yeah. cry, and it's it's all sort of you can you feel it's all a bit manufactured, and obviously you don't want someone to have to be traumatized to give over their emotion, whatever that emotion needs to be. Um, but I do agree with the the sort of authenticity of it, and I think maybe that's why I prefer screen a bit more because I think there's a little bit less. I think I also think writing has come on as well, particularly for screen, where it's not like, oh, and then she cries. Like I think it's like if someone is emotionally moved in the moment, yeah, then, then we run with it and that's what happens. Yeah. If they don't, then the point of this isn't to watch someone cry. Like yeah. to me, that shouldn't be the point of a of a scene. Um And let's be honest, right? It's far more powerful to watch somebody try not to cry than it is to watch somebody cry. That's and that's the you know, it's the it's the secret to acting, isn't it? It's like when people are crying, they're trying not to cry. When it's like when it, uh, or acting drunk, I think Michael Caine said this was like yes. People, people when they're drunk, they don't act drunk. They act like they're no. okay because they think exactly. they're fine. So actually, what you should be doing is pretending that you're okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's so true. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, it's just something more more authentic about it. Um, so what what? What part of acting did you love when you were doing it? Um, I love exploring character. I love going, okay, like what makes this person tick? What mm. do they hate? What do they love? Um, what do they wear? You know, putting on, <laughs> I loved finding my character's shoes mm. and, walk, and like physically going to a charity shop or something and going, those brogues, that's the shoes that Susan wears or whatever and then being like you only put those on if you're going to be Susan and then suddenly you're suddenly Susan (laughs) (laughs) just like tell me I've done this um but yeah I love that sort of character creation with and especially if you're working with directors that give you the freedom to find it yourself you know um I love I love that feeling and this is something I really miss I love that feeling when you're working with another actor and there is like pure fire between the two of you. Mm. Like you can fit, there's so much adrenaline pumping in the scene and you're like, fuck, I feel like this could actually go anywhere. Thank God I've learned my lines, you know, like it feels a little bit dangerous. And I've had the real privilege of working with some incredibly talented actors that they will give you something different to work with every night and it's never boring. And I remember I was doing a tour um, with a friend of mine and we had this in- incredible uh, like duologue and it was about a woman who um, had had an affair with the other's husband and 
they sort of meet in the middle of this bar and it's like head on tension. Um, and every night it went a different way and we'd come off and go, Oh my God. Oh my God. Like it just felt so alive, you know? And I love that part about acting. Um, yeah, I, I think it really, there's no other way to sum it up apart from feeling more alive than ever going through those moments. And what part of, part of it did you not love? Learning lines. <laughs> I'm really rubbish at learning lines. I hated it. I don't find that interesting at all. Um, some people learn them really quick, but I find it quite hard. I just want to know them and know them well so that I can be free in the character and, and do what I'm, and do what I'm doing within within my limits obviously um yeah learning lines um I don't really think there's anything else that I didn't like apart from obviously if you're working in a tricky company mm. and the balance is off because yeah. you've got to you've got to trust haven't you you have to trust everybody implicitly and if there's if there's a bad egg it's uncomfortable fast um but other than that yeah, I think I think it's a awesome, an awesome job. And do you have a funny or cringeworthy audition story? Ed, I think they're all uh, all of those. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I've got a really painful one for you, actually. Um, I asked to um, audition for a film, and the audition was in Birmingham. So this was like good, good two and a half hour drive. I did it there and back in a day. Um, and I don't think they gave me any sides or anything to read before I went. It was more like an in the room type scenario. And I get in there and it's these two guys, director and a camera guy. And <laughs> oh God. And they turned around to me and they were like, right, okay. So the scene is your mate has been killed. And you know who's done it. And you're in the scene with a guy that has killed your friend. And you've got to get him to admit that he's murdered him. Okay. Right. Okay. I, I, fine. Uh, there was no other actor to play with. It was just no. me. Oh, my yeah. God. So step one, really difficult. It gets so much worse now when they turn around and say to me, yeah, so the, the the way that you um that you get the facts from him is um to seduce him. I was so worried you were gonna say that. It gets worse, Ed. It gets worse because they then asked me to simulate sex with this man. Let's just remind ourselves, there's nobody there. It's just me and two guys in a camera, and I'm like some 25-year-old knob that's rocked up thinking. This is legit. I wanted to die. Oh so there's goodness. me on the floor, sort of, you know, writhing around, simulating sex, trying to get this guy to confess to murder. Um, and I just wanted to leave my body. <laughs> and as I left the room, I left the room and it was a sea of just young women. And I thought, fuck this is not good. I'm going to be on some sort of like YouTube channel or something for. Yeah. I'm sorry to ask, was it a real audition? Did you, is it like. I, I mean, 
Was it? I, did you get it via an agent, or was it something you applied? I didn't get it from an agent, but it was on something like it. I don't think it was on Spotlight, but it was on something like one of the casting sites mm. that I found. Um, but yeah, that that was one that has stayed with me. Um, Jesus, Kate, I don't think there was anything remotely funny about that. I think that's awful. I I, mean, yeah, I have to laugh our way through it because it's like, I'm, yeah, but that's just so. That's so awful because the fact that there's no other females in the room. There's there's no other actors. I'm actually that's no other actors. I know they didn't give me a woman or anything to read against. That's really, really, very, very weird. Really bad, isn't it? I actually do have a funny one. So I did um I did a commercial audition, and I know that you've spoken about these with other guests because they're just so friggin' weird, aren't they? Like they're so. I swear they're just set up to humiliate you. That's it. And I did a what was, I don't even know what it was for now. I literally can't tell you what it was for, but it was an advert for a big brand. And walked into the room, loads of people in the room, and they wanted me to pick an animal that you would find in the zoo. So I was like, okay. So I thought of a gorilla. Okay, I'm a gorilla. That right, you're you are the animal, a caged animal, but you are uh, simulating an office task. It's like okay, so I'm like a gorilla typing, and like, right? And they were like, right now you're really angry typing. They were doing, and I was like, but what am I, I? Am I in a zoo or an office or what? Oh, honestly, I think at one point I flew out of the bars at someone, and then I got a pen in the face. It was yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't get it. <laughs> Always amazes me who writes this stuff as well. Like Absolutely. they get paid so well. <laughs> doesn't, it, doesn't it make you laugh though? Because even last night I was thinking about this. There was an advert on TV for like a laundry detergent, and like this girl spills a whole milkshake over a top or whatever, and she gives this look directly to camera. And I thought, I wonder what they made you do in an audition to like nail that look. Like that's what I start thinking about now because I've been yeah. in that situation, you know, so many yeah. times. Yeah, yeah. casting rooms are God, they're a mind fuck of a place, aren't they? I mean they're awful, yeah. They're I mean it's all, it's all Zoom now, so we're kinda of safe, but um you still have to do some really bizarre things for, for those yeah. commercial auditions. Um <laughs> I can't believe you're asked to simulate sex in audition. I think that's. I know. I can't believe I did it. That's the thing. If 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 I went in now at my age, I would tell him to fuck off. But this is what I was saying. <laughs> this is what I was saying. Um, in 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 last week's episode with Naomi about like you, you know someone will suggest something stupid or unrealistic to you, and you just go, "Yeah, I can do that." Exactly. Yeah. Because. You're always thinking, like, if I don't, if I don't, this could be this could be my last audition. This could be the last chance. This could be yeah. this could lead to something. I mean, what's it going to lead to? Christ, oh, it's just so not knowing. There's always work being created, and there's always going to be opportunities. Exactly. Um, yeah. You really do sort of um, you talk yourself into some really strange things as an actor. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Oh, I'm so I'm really sorry. I to go through that. <laughs> It's yeah, don't give my advice to any young <clears throat> actors. Don't put yourself through that. Don't don't make my mistakes. Yeah, the, the, but the power of no. Just if you don't, if you're not going to say no, and there shouldn't be anything wrong with that, and you shouldn't be made to feel like, you know, no one would be an actor or you don't. Well, yeah, but you want to be comfortable as well. 
Yeah. And if you want to get the best out of people, you want to make them comfortable. Yeah. Um, yeah. God, castings are weird. How, how did you deal with um, rejection then when you were auditioning? Um, I think I found it quite hard, actually. I think depending on what it was, if I if I really wanted it, I would um, I would take it quite hard. I think, yeah, if I'm being yeah. really honest. Um, yeah, but even now, you know, writing, you get rejections. I'm much better now that I'm older and I've had a lot of rejection. <laughs> I now just go right if I don't get it, I'm going to do something really nice for myself. Whereas before, I think I used to beat myself up, but I don't anymore. Yeah. God, if I had to do something nice for myself every time I got rejected, I'd be the happiest person alive. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> cool. And um, were you ever superstitious? Like, do you ever have any kind of preparation ritual before you did any acting? No, I don't think so. I would do a similar warm-up each time mm, okay. Um, okay. the stage. But, but no, I didn't have any superstition, no. No, that's fair. And um, do you think do you think the business has changed since you started? Yeah, out? massively, massively. Like even what you were just saying about everything being online now and on Zoom and mm. self tapes, and it's a completely different kettle of fish now. Like I used to be able to go, and I, and this is why I feel really sorry for actors starting out now is that they were rare, but you still had those like workshop auditions, you know. Mm-hmm. where you'd get in the room and you'd spend a whole day or a whole afternoon working with a group of actors you'd get up and do a speech but then you'd like devise something together or you'd play games and you know I think that that's so beneficial to get people in a room together to see how they work because mm-hmm. anyone can look good in a three-minute audition but what are they like are they a team player are they you know can how do they how does their body move I find that so weird about about being um a stage actor but doing a screen audition because like you're only really seeing a very limited amount of like body use it's like yeah. and that's so important yeah so yeah I think it's changed massively mm-hmm. yeah I always I always say that I always I always that's one of my big worries about just the whole self-saving thing is that you don't you don't really get a sense of what someone's like they just do their audition no. and that's it um that's- but if you're going to spend a you know months working with someone then you've got to be the right fit haven't they got to be a good collaborator i think like so this is why it makes sense of the saying it's like it's not what you know it's who you know because Mm. you end up working with directors or you know producers or whatever and you get on you end up getting re-employed by those people because they go oh great you know you'll fit that role i don't have to audition somebody for it and that's crap for people coming in the industry but it's great for you to not have to you know keep keep um looking for other avenues you know yeah yeah so true and just 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 makes the whole process easier if you know you know if you're happy with who you're working with yeah um what's something that brings you joy that you that you do that brings you joy that isn't connected to the industry oh um that's a really good question drinking wine love it joy um exercise I really love exercise um I like having a goal I like moving my body in different ways I love um yeah like cycling and pilates and stuff 
um, binge watching TV. I'm a bit obsessed with TV. I could watch TV all day, every day. I just love it. Um, and cooking and reading recipe books. Oh, cool. I could read recipe books from cover to cover. And it's a really weird thing, but I love like finding new recipes and thinking, you know, I'm going to give that a go because there's so much satisfaction that comes out. It's just another form of creation, really, isn't it? 100%. Yeah. Especially if I'm drinking a nice glass of wine while cooking. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's the fun for me. And obviously spending time with my family, my son. <laughs> it doesn't come last. That's just a given. <laughs> no, there's no, uh, there's no order. Yeah. No, there's no order to that. But well, I think wine's at the top. But wine's first, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and um, what's something that you know now that you wish you'd known? when you started off on your creative journey? That there are so many interesting stories within you. Mm -hmm. If I think about, I used to think I wasn't interesting or I didn't come from anywhere interesting or I didn't have anything interesting to say individually. And that's just a crock of shit because life is interesting and you learn and you grow and um, there's always a place to tell your stories, even if it's not not about you, but about your people and about your communities. And I think I was so desperate, and I think a lot of people are so desperate to do that whole working in London thing that they actually forget that there is so much um, nourishment in their own local communities. And I've stripped it all back, and that's what I love doing now. I love telling stories about the people that I know and love and the situations that they've been in. Um, and then to try and, and make that relatable for an audience. Um, and also, as you get older, you just have so many less fucks to give. Like, I don't care yeah. anymore. Like, I used to care so much about what everybody thought about my work. Now, if it means a lot to me and I do a good job and the people that I love go, I think you've done a good job, I'm happy with that. Mm. Yeah, I always think it's important that – as you know, when you're a creative, you create for you first. That's, you don't have anybody yeah. else in mind. That's um, exactly right. Yeah. Do things that you're interested in and passionate about because you, it might not go anywhere, but at least you've had fun doing it and you've learned something, you know, and you might move on to something else. But if you're always doing it for somebody else, then, yeah, you won't find the joy in it, I don't think. Yeah, I always hide that. I find that hard when I'm sort of – Five things whether I'm writing for a stage or screen and it's like we're the target audience I'm like me yeah, yeah. But I don't think there's anything wrong with that I don't think there's anything wrong with that I think if you're writing you absolutely need to know who you're writing it for um but if that's for like people like me then sweet that's your audience yeah yeah you know just whoever connects to it exactly you can't, you can't how can you how can you say that this material is going to connect to, to a certain, certain demographic or a certain... Oh, like I get you, but I mean, that's... Yeah. I think you can tell, you can... Obviously, when, when you, especially when you're writing something, but if you're also performing in something, you, you know how you want to make your audience feel. That's incredibly important. But who that audience is, you know, unless you're doing a children's show, you know, yeah. it, it can be really varied, can't it? Is there a piece of acting advice or direction that you've ever received that has stuck with you? No. Oh. That's a really good question. 
Um, <laughs> clearly not massively because I can't think of it straight away. <laughs> <laughs> no, they were all wrong. They were all shit. No. Um, I'm trying to think now. Something that stuck with me. I don't think anything that's going to um, be different to what anybody else has ever been told. Um, yeah, you know what? I've got a piece of um, a piece of sort of, I suppose, mental health advice in terms of having been in a difficult role. Mm-hmm. I once. Um, was in this really difficult role and um the director could see that I'd sort of gone into a different place and at the end was like oh right so can you like tell me how it was and I was like oh yeah well then I did this and then I did that and blah 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 and he was like we were still referring to the character as yourself so he wouldn't let me leave until I started referring to them as the character rather Mm -hmm. than me because I'd sort of taken it all on personally, you know. Yeah. Um, I really had got lost in it. Um, and I think that that can happen if you end up in a really big role that takes up a lot of your energy, especially your emotional energy, that you can you can get lost in it and you need to really look after yourself. Um, and also notice that in others as well that if people are playing a difficult role um, in your company and you spot that they're, it's potentially affecting them then to talk to them about it. Um, I'll always remember that experience and, and being really grateful because I used to, I had quite a commute after I did the play and, um, yeah, it took me a long time to come around and then be able to go home. Um, but I think that that was worthwhile doing. Otherwise, I would have taken that into, you know, my home life, which isn't, um, yeah, isn't good. So that would be my piece of advice. Oh, yeah, some sound advice. That's great. Yeah. Um, now, I'm introducing this new question because um, I think it's important in our self-deprecating British society that we grow up in that we... <coughs> get used to picking ourselves up a little bit all right yeah i love it so kate austin what is <laughs> something that you are proud of that you've done creatively okay um uh okay i think i think i'm most proud of some of the writing that i've done um and I did a piece of theatre which was my first ever commission, and that was at the Minac in Cornwall. And uh, it was a really crazy experience, but I was able to write a play for their youth theatre, um, and I was really proud of it. I wrote a play. <laughs> I wrote a play about displacement. Really, um, it was two teenage girls that were half half human half bird and they were um, excuse the pun ostracized from uh, the <laughs> local <laughs> and it was about their fight against the village to sort of uh, stay um 
in their nest effectively um, and it was such a wonderful experience because I was able to go down and work with the group on the piece and watch it grow and develop and change um, so yeah I was really proud of that because I'd only been writing for I'd only just graduated my writing course for a couple of months when I got the commission so yeah I was really proud of that brilliant thank you <laughs> good <laughs> Good. Yeah, we did. yeah, I think it's something we need to get used to doing. In fact, that that came to me when we were at that we were at that um writing networking thing. Yeah. Recently. Yeah. Uh, which was like, now talk about something that you're really proud of. And I'm like, yeah, we need to do more of that. We do need to do more <laughs> of that. Because you know, it's such a such a harsh industry, isn't it? Like across the board. Hmm. Um and you need to champion yourself the most because otherwise who's going to want to champion your work if you don't champion yourself? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everyone's got something to offer. Everyone's got a story to tell, as you said. Absolutely. Um, you mentioned you run into reading. I wondered if there was a book that you would recommend to someone with their creative pursuit. I am really terrible with reading like um books about craft okay and that's probably, <laughs> probably right. not a great thing to admit but um I have I have loads of these books about craft on my bookshelf and um I'll be like I'm, just, I'm so gonna read that and I'll read three pages and then put it down um <laughs> what I do do is I I read a lot of plays um and my only advice would be to read as many different types of plays as you possibly can, whether you're going to act or you're going to write or you're going to direct, whatever it is you do, because there is so much to learn. And I listened to a great podcast with Simon Stevens and he had this little nugget of advice, which I love, which is read, read plays um, like a thief. I'm massively like um, butchering what he said, but it's along the lines of like, you know, read it like a thief. So you go through and steal bits that you think, mm. I love the way that they made me feel at that point. You know, not not plagiarism, of course, but like if there's a, a technique that they've used to make you you feel or uh, there's a you know a rhythmic pattern or whatever, um, use it and note it so that you can use that going forward because there's no original thoughts, is there? There's no original plays. And we only learn by, um, yeah, I think consuming as much of it as possible and then yeah. trying to use that in our own practice. Yeah. That's what I would say, just reload plays. <laughs> I, know, I know people that read a load of craft books and they always recommend them to me. And I think, I think I've got a bit of, I think I'm a bit sort of, I've got a bit of a problem with people telling me how to do it. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I'm happy to learn by doing and being told that the way I haven't done that is quite right because of X, but reading it, I don't think reading it from a book will personally be the way that I'm able to process it well enough. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Read letter plays in short. <laughs> fair play, fair play. Um, what am I going to say? I was going to say something. I Run out of my head, but yeah, I collect that stuff. I've got some book. I've got some books on the shelf. I've recently just bought one that someone was recommended during a Zoom. But it's just called Playwriting by Stephen Jeffries. Oh. I'm not. I've not started reading it yet. But apparently, that's the 
that's the book at the moment which is like if you're gonna read well, my I, have book, heard, <laughs> I have heard a lot of people talking about it you can tell me if it's good ed and if you say it's good you can lend it to me and i'll read it how's that that sounds great or i'll, I'll record it and then know uh, <laughs> oh, even better i love listening to stuff so if you can do the the voice voice recording of it of the book i will <laughs> I'll listen to that when I'm up oh, in the early hours. I've got loads of time to do that for you. That's fine. Yeah, of course you have. Um, um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, I know what you mean. I, I know. I think I remember what I was going to say now. Was it like you do kind of going back to the acting thing about um, in a similar vein of like there's a way you need to be and there's a way you need to be seen and heard. It's it's similar to like uh, doing something creative is that like oh. You need to have either read these books or you, you, you need to know the rules before you can break them. It's quite a common thing I hear, especially about writing. Um, and I don't know how you feel about that. I'm quite rebellious. I haven't done, I haven't done any, like, mm, I've never done a writing course in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, no, that's a lie. I'm not, I'm writing. What I mean is by that is I've never done a writing yeah, I've never done an intensive, like, well, an educational course, if you like. Yeah. Um, gone and studied somewhere for a year or, what, or anything like that to do with writing. I've always just written and I've done little workshops and talk to people about it and and read plays or watch watch a lot of plays and watch consume a lot of film. Like, I'll probably watch a film a day. Um, and so that's how I, because I can't be sort of talked at in a lecture kind of scenario no I don't way. like it either um, I try and read stuff like I have read a couple of writing books and again it's just taking but I think it's all about just taking what you connect with and not thinking this is the way um, you know what you struck a chord with me when you said about recording the, the Stephen Jeffries book because I listen to a lot of writing podcasts that is where I get my um I suppose my uh, advice techniques from. Yeah. Um, I listen to like the Royal Court Writers podcast. I listen to like various ones um, about writing and they obviously have, you know, a different playwright on each time talking about their techniques, their do's, their don'ts. And I find that really interesting because they're current in the industry making work that I love and believe in. And I think if you're doing that, then that's surely going to work, you know, Um I have a real issue with structure. That's something I'm not good at in terms of writing. It scares the shit out of me. And the amount of people that turn around to me and go, it's just telling a story. A child tells a story. It's just beginning, middle and end. Fuck off. It's not. It's not beginning, (laughs) middle and end. Because I've got to make people feel shit. There's got to be stakes. There's got to be obstacles. They've got to get over the obstacle. Who's the enemy? What do they want? What's their? There's so much more to having sally met dave they got married uh they fell out they made up again the end there's so much more to it than that um Mm. and i that is something i struggle with but it's something that i know that i need to to work on so i do listen out for stuff that talks about sort of dealing with structure because that's something that i is a sticking point for me a bit yeah no that's fair i'm certainly i'm certainly the same i I, I suffer, uh, suffer no i struggle with uh, structure, um, struggle with speaking as well. Apparently, um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, and and I have done. You know, I've worked with some really good writers. I've worked with comedy writers. I've worked with, um, uh, you know, uh, my cousin. I did his film writing 
course, because he's a he's a very very good writer and director uh, of the screen, and that was really That's fascinating. Cool. Um, and um, yeah, the story. Have you heard of the story spine? That, that, that I sort of like use that. That's really helpful. I'll oh, talk- I yes, yes, I have. Yeah, yes. that's that's quite it's like a good starting point. And again, then you can sort of move things around and all the, like, you can mess with the dynamics. And so I guess, yeah, it is kind of a little bit like of knowing some of the rules, but it is, yeah, it's hard work, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. It is hard. It is. I think, I, love think, it. I think it's even hard to do something, you know, when people, and I'm just as guilty, um, but when people poo-poo something, which is just like, I don't know, very mainstream, or which appeals to a, 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 a huge number of people, whether it's a play or whether it's a, a film. And I, and I just think, yeah, but like to get something to appeal to a, a much bigger audience, yeah. that's hard work. Like I'll say that yeah. about pop music. Like I don't like all pop music, but writing a pop song and knowing that that's going to be like writing a hit is hard yeah. work. It doesn't just really hard. Yeah. You know. All right, so it's not anything that is appealing to you or that you think is as deep as meaningful as uh, another amazing writer, right? But it doesn't mean these things um, take five minutes to do. Like, it's all, no. all long. And it's um, a lot of people saying, no, like, we, we I, I feel like we, the industry is just dealing with a lot of no's. Yeah, um, it is. All the time and... Particularly in in my life, sort of through circumstances, I don't know why I'm getting confessional now. <laughs> but, but um, but like circumstances, either professionally, or also with like um, uh, like real life stuff, like front stuff, like is is always saying like oh, you shouldn't be doing this. You should be doing something else, doing a real job. And it's like, well, I don't want to do anything else. I don't know how to yeah. do anything else. This is. This is it, yeah. This is who I am. Yeah. And I can't. It's, it's, it's so hard to explain to people who don't, who don't who don't work in the industry or don't want to work in the industry because the, I don't know about you, but you get so I get so many comments of like, um, where where, where do you find the time and like. How, you know how 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 do you have a day off? But then on your day off, you're writing because like you're not having any time. And it's like I know, but if I don't do it, I'm going to be so miserable. Mm. Like even just for myself, you know, I find if I'm not creative, I'm a monster. You know, and it's so hard to explain that to to people that don't have that need. You know. Yeah, yeah, I get very depressed. I'm why I started yeah. the podcast. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, and I'm very thankful for that. Not your depression, but the podcast. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I feel I'm the same way. If I don't, if I don't have a creative outlet, I get very down very quickly. Mm. Um, and I think that's the way for a lot of creatives. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's my coping mechanism: creation. I mean. Yeah. 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 Well, and why? Um, well, this brings us to um, the ten. I can't. I said I wasn't going to call it rapid fire anymore because um, it puts people off. So the ten. Not I don't rapid mind rapid fire. fire. <laughs> I, won't, I won't. I won't think about it. Just tell me, and I'll do them as quick as I can. Oh, well, so oh. just just say yeah, whatever come, what comes to your mind, okay. as long as long as that takes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but 
but yeah, this is the question that um, created by the uh, lovely French interviewer Bernard Pivot, who inspired my favourite interviewer James Lipton from inside the Actor Studio. Very good. What is your favourite word? Fluff. And what is your least favourite word? Moist. That's a lot of people's least favourite word, it's isn't it? Rank, it's rank, isn't I don't, it? I don't get it. I don't get it. Because there's some people who like get very angry if you say that in front of them. I don't get angry. I just don't. I don't enjoy. I don't enjoy. If I say it, I'm like, oh, I just said it. It's one of those. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> what turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Connection to others. And what turns you off? Um, people who aren't themselves, aren't their authentic self, judgmental people, people that only see things in black and white. What's your favourite swear word? Oh, it's a choice between fuck and cunt, I think. <laughs> but I think I say fuck most. Just becoming a common answer. Uh, what sound or noise do you love? Oh, I've always loved the noise where you're pouring liquid into a glass filled with ice and it's all clinking. That's a good that sound, sound for me. That's a good ASMR sound. Yes, isn't it? Isn't it? And what sound or noise do you hate? The sound of babies crying. Mm-hmm. Agreed. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Oh. Um, I think maybe something to do with fashion. She mm. says, oh. wearing one of those oversized oody things that make you look like you've just crawled out of a bin. But, <laughs> yeah, I think fashion would be fun. And what profession would you not like to do? A surgeon or a nurse. I can't deal with blood or any of that stuff, and I think they're all incredible humans. Fair enough. And finally, if heaven exists, what would you like God to say to you when you arrive at the pearly gate? Your nan's made you a cuppa. Come on in. Oh, it's lovely. Is there anything you want to plug, Kate? Is there anything I want to plug? Uh, really, but. I was thinking that this is a good thing for me to say on here. If there's any like um, collaborators out there that fancy, um, like I'm particularly interested in working with any actor musos at the minute Mm -hmm. for a play that I'm doing. I'm doing an R&D of in January. I need some actor musos and I need, um, uh, yeah, that's probably it actually. Yeah, so I'm doing an R&D in January and then I've got a deadline for something else in uh, in March, but I won't say too much about that now. But yeah, if any actor moves out there want to hit me up and come and play in January in Essex, um, cool. I can't pay you unless my Arts Council comes in. <laughs> what would be the best way to get in contact with you that I could put in the show notes? Would it be an email address? Um, or... follow, me on, follow me on Insta. Cool. Which is... Uh, at Kate Austin 8 Austin as in Jane not Powers that's what I have to say all the time (laughs) thank you Ed this has been lush thank you you've been lush you've been awesome Um, 
been really nice chatting to you. And um, it's been like a little bit of therapy. It is therapeutic, isn't it? I think it is. Yeah, people don't talk enough. I mean, I talk all the time, but you know, generally. <laughs> but yeah, and I really appreciate you giving up some time for this. It's, um, oh, yeah, it thanks means a lot. For everyone that does it, it's, it's it's really wonderful, and it's a, yeah, it's a nice way to catch up. You know what? It's lovely because it's just so nice to listen to a podcast where people are going, yeah, it's really fucking hard. <laughs> sometimes I don't work. Sometimes I work for myself. Sometimes I work three jobs, you know, because yeah. that is the reality of it. You know, it's really tough and you've got to love it and you've got to look after yourself mm. and everybody else because, yeah. Um, yeah, it's hard out there. It's a lot of joking, isn't it? But uh, I do I do feel like that is the sort of, not to get all doom and gloom, that is the state of the world. I think everyone is juggling. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, you know, but this is this is when our job becomes most important to create art. You know, like we yeah. found with the pandemic. You know, it was everybody was indoors watching their tellies, reading books, all of that sort of stuff. And you know, that's when people realise the importance of the arts. Mm. Um, and when the world is falling apart, you need to get out there and um, make some change. Yeah, on the, on the stage or screen or in a book, or whatever, in people's ear rolls, whatever way you can. Well, that was chaos in there. Um, just such a lovely chat, such a lovely human, and um, a, a wonderful artist. Just yeah, such a lovely creative. I am trying, Kate. I'm trying to make the change in people's ear holes. <laughs> That's the route I'm going at the moment. Um, but it's, yeah, so much truth in, in what she said. Well, there is she said. I'm making her out to be a liar. What am I like? I think, um, it's ending on that note. It just kind of hammers home for me that even in the worst of times, like that we still, as creatives, get up and do something, even if it's like writing a poem or writing a song, composing a piece of music painting something expression is just so important we all have you know we're all privileged to be able to do that um in this part of the world anyway to have that choice to do it for love do it for fun and um you know if we're lucky we can do it for money as well but that's not what it's really about but we get so pressured into making decisions and uh, and putting ourselves in situations in which because we want to do this thing so much that we love that sometimes we can put ourselves in harm's way so i'm thinking now of kate's rather horrific audition story i just want to underline that i want to hammer home one final point about this that if you are sent to an audition particularly one where You've not been given any sides to read. You've been given no dialogue to learn. You, it, you know, the whole thing is going to be a surprise. If they ask you to do something that you find uncomfortable, just say no. Just say no, thank you, and leave. You're not comfortable doing this. It's so important to remember that this isn't going to be your only opportunity. This isn't the only thing that's being cast. This isn't the only thing that's been written. Whatever that thing is, whether it's a piece of theatre or 
something for screen. There's so much of it out there. Unresponsible and good people are doing castings for you to be a part of. Just stay away from that shit. It's just, it's say no. We have the power to say no. We have the right to refuse. We're worth more than the humiliating circumstances we've been put into. And I think if you're a female and you're in this situation, then try and take someone with you. Um, that's perfectly okay. That's perfectly acceptable to have someone accompany you to an audition. So yeah, the power of no people, don't forget it. And remember your worth because you have so much more to give than, you know, five minutes of humiliation. Don't forget, Kate was looking for uh, musicians, actor musicians, rather, for, uh, for something she's working on next year. So I will link her Instagram in the show notes. So get in touch with her via that if you can. Kate, I play Triangle. I know we haven't had this chat yet, but um, I'm, I'm pretty impressive. So I expect to be partaking in your project next year. Stay creative, everyone.